Thanks for inviting me back to give another talk. Um, can intubate, can't ventilate. As Ben said, you know, this is an ICU-based talk, but there's loads of learning that is applicable. Um, it's not unusual, certainly where I work, uh, peak winter times that uh, district general hospitals are looking after these patients until a transport team can arrive. Or sometimes they have to stay in an adult intensive care or somewhere else until there's a bed in an ICU. So hopefully there'll be some learning that people can take away from this case. So um, I'm going to put you into the scenario where it's a hand over time and you're presented with a case of a 15 year old girl who you're told has had a recent glandular fever and she presented to the ED emergency department last week um, relatively well discharged, but then has represented with increased neck swelling and drooling. And there was lots of concern about the potential for necrotizing fasciitis of her neck. She was reviewed in the NE department by uh, plastics, by ENT, by PICU, and by the ED teams, all uh, making consensus decision making. And there's a beautiful CT image that shows just how significant uh, size-wise the swelling is on her neck. So she uh, went for a CT scan, had pictures like this, and then proceeded to theatre. So lucky for you, this patient is already intubated, so you don't need to worry about intubating somebody with a big uh, neck swelling. She went to theatre for debridement of this uh, neck wound, and when she came back, there was a handover that there was a pharyngeal breach that the teams weren't overly worried about in terms of healing. They would expect that to heal by itself if just left alone. But to try and optimise the healing process, they said, please keep this patient's head in the midline. Be really careful with uh, oropharyngeal suctioning. The neck wound is still left open, and what our plan is is to go back to theatre tomorrow to inspect the wound, aiming for a primary neck closure. So be, please don't rock the boat with the nighttime handover, so do nothing. Uh, the night team are expecting a really easy-peasy night when it comes to this patient because they're not anticipating any issues. Lo and behold, one in the morning, what happens? The emergency buzzer goes off. So the team walks very quickly to the bed space, and you're presented with a monitor similar to this that shows these numbers. So a 15-year-old girl with a heart rate of 130, stable blood pressure in the 140 systolic, um, but with saturations of 78%. So the first question is, in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, what structure might help you um, approach this patient? So you can pick from, a, it's a very straightforward question, so I'll only give you like, you know, 10 seconds for this one. Uh, call for help and then do what? What is your approach? Uh, sleeps at 1am, I would love to be asleep. Grumps, that's more reflective of my personality sometimes. Uh, dopes or sneezes, so I'll let you guys decide. Yep, so uh, dopes uh, is the correct answer. Um, so what does that stand for? It stands for displacement of your endotracheal tube. Uh, is the tube obstructed? And that can be externally or internally, thinking about blood, mucus. Um, does the child have a pneumothorax? Is it an equipment issue? Something become disconnected or ventilator failure? Or could this patient have stacked breaths? So this is an approach that you can use to start working through what might be going on with the patient when they're ventilated, um, but something is something is going wrong. So what do you want to do next for this patient? There's loads of different options here, and hopefully if this slider was working, you can select more than one option. So uh, often in these circumstances, you're doing more than one thing at a time. So select the ones uh, which can be multiple about what you would want to do for this patient. So thinking about clinical assessment, increasing their oxygen, rem remembering that their saturations are only 78%.
manual ventilation, do you want to sedate and muscle relax this patient to perform suctioning, uh, call in physiotherapy from home, do you want to do a needle decompression, do you want to put a chest strain in, do you want to request a chest x-ray, or do you want to do a point of care ultrasound, or do you want to do all of those things? Select the number that you think are appropriate. Okay, so everybody wants to clinically assess the patient, very wise. Um, increasing the oxygen, obviously very popular. Um, thinking about doing blood gases, suctioning, chest x-ray, and then manual ventilation is um, one of the least popular options. Uh, unable to see the other options there because of the um, advertisements, but yeah, less popular. Okay, um, so I'll tell you what uh, the clinical assessment showed. So this patient is quite obviously hypoxic. Um, she had poor chest movement with reduced air entry bilaterally. She still had a um, end tidal CO2 trace on the monitor. Cardiovascularly stable in terms of she wasn't bradycardic. She was, if anything, tachycardic with a stable, robust blood pressure. A point of care ultrasound scan was done um, that showed lung sliding bilaterally. And there was a two centimeter effusion reported at the right base. Um, and a chest X-ray was requested. So lots of concerning things. So the chest movement was poor um, and there was a small effusion. So this is the x-ray at that time. So I'll give you a little bit of time to look at that x-ray and see what you think of it. So what do you want to do next? So you've assessed the patient. Your clinical assessment is as described in the previous slide. So do you want to increase her oxygen at this point? Do you want to disconnect her from the ventilator and uh, handbagger? Do you want to sedate her muscle relaxer? Do you want to do suctioning based on that x-ray? Are you calling physio in? Or is it now time to do a needle decompression or a chest strain? Okay, so yeah, increase the oxygen, very wise. Um, about just over half the people are now disconnecting from the ventilator which is an important consideration because if you think about your dopes mnemonic, if you think there's a problem with the ventilator, if you manually bag them from a TPC, you're taking the ventilator out of the equation. So if things magically get better just by doing that, it raises the potential that your ventilator was the issue in the first place. And um, less if you want to do some suctioning, uh, bear in mind that the uh, air entry is poor. Um, some of you want to do a chest drain just under a third Sedate and muscle relax, that's important because it allows you to take control of the patient. They're not fighting against the ventilator and some of you are calling in physiotherapy. Okay, so what did the team do? They increased the oxygen as people suggested. They did handbag um, and it was not a ventilator issue because things did not magically improve. They did um, physio, uh, chest physio clearance themselves and called the on-call physio in. They did suctioning down the endotracheal tube and found difficulty getting down the endotracheal tube, which worried them. Um, they worried was uh, this patient fighting against the ventilator uh, because they felt that um, she was quite light under the sedation. So they gave boluses of sedation. That resulted in a drop in blood pressure. So therefore, inotropes were commenced and they put in a right basal chest strain. And at the same time, they set up to change the endotracheal tube to try and draw a line under the potential of it being blocked. When they did that, they decided to do that by putting a bougie down the tube um, and then replacing uh, the endotracheal tube. But when they put the bougie down, they reported that they felt something give. And when they took the bougie out and put the patient back on the bagging circuit, they were able to ventilate the patient and oxygenate the patient. So that being said, 
what do people think was the big player problem here? Do they think that it was just secretions or some sort of mucus plug that they've dislodged with the bougie? Do they think that it was a pleural effusion or empyema or something that's been addressed by the um, chest cream going in? Do they think that it was a ventilation perfusion mismatch and by supporting the blood pressure, they were able to get better perfusion to segments of the lung that were open? Uh, was the patient inadequately sedated and actually once they improved the sedation, they were able to get better compliance? Was it an acute respiratory distress syndrome evolving on the X-ray? Was it a displaced endotracheal tube? Could it have been a pneumothorax or was it ventilator failure? So when you're hearing this story from the night team, what are you thinking in your head was the key issue? Because they've done a lot of things all at the same time. And your job in the morning when you're hearing this at Andover is rationalizing what the team has done and trying to put it into context and make plans to move forward. So most people say that they felt this is secretions mucus plug. And I have to say, I absolutely agree with you. So everything is now better. The nighttime team have now handed this patient over to you. So this is when I came on ship. So now it's our turn. So this is now our scenario, our patient to manage. And let's see what's going to happen. So the, the, the big question now is, you've just taken handover. You arrive at the bed space in the morning to be a ward round. The ENT surgeon comes to you and says, I have just heard about how unstable a night this patient has had. I've went and spoke to the family and told them how bad a night it was and that I don't think this patient should go to theatre. So the question I put to you is, what do you think? Should this patient proceed to theatre for neck wound closure? Yes or no? Just to add a bit more information, um, the ventilator pressures that were peak pressures 22 on 8 were now 30 on 8 after the events of the night. The oxygen requirement that was at 40% was now at 70%. She was now on noradrenaline. Her blood pressure was stellar, absolutely perfect, if not too good, too high. The blood gas was absolutely pristine. Her saturations were 100% and her tidal volumes were you know, 9 mils per kilo. So she was overventilated on the ventilator. So 70% say no. So that's really interesting. Um, and the reason that's interesting is that my take on this was that this patient had a mucus plug that had been dislodged. And when I reviewed the patient in the morning, it was clear to me that the patient didn't need the noradrenaline that they were on. It was weaning. It was coming. It would be off within the hour. Um, they did not need 70% oxygen. It was weaning. It would be back to where it was the day before within 30 minutes. Um, and the ventilator pressures were easily weanable. So my take on this is that there had been acute desaturation related to a plug and that the patient was stable enough to go to theatre. However, that doesn't mean that they needed to go on this day, I was happy for the team to, to do it at a time where they were all comfortable. And for that reason, we arranged an MDT. Um, the anaesthetic team said, if you're happy, we are happy, we can take the patient. We're happy with those numbers. We've assessed the patient, we agree. Things are getting back to where they were yesterday. ENT were a little bit more cautious about that and thought it would be nice to have a day of stability before we bring her to theater. And then the plastic surgeons um, came along and said, to be honest, doing it the next day suits us better because we've got a lot on and there's no urgency in terms of bringing her today. So that was a very easy decision, actually. If it worked better for the theatre teams and allowed us to maintain stability, then we would delay theatre until the next day 
we would wean support and aim for data the next day. The key lesson within that to me is that if a team is going to see parents and discuss changes in plans due to perceived instability in the, the previous night, it's important for those teams to come and speak to the intensive care team first before they make plans and discuss things with families so that we can put context into what has happened. So everything is now better. Um, this patient proceeded as planned, went to theatre, had a primary neck closure, and then uneventfully back to ICU uh, with a story that everything went absolutely perfectly. No issues in theatre, no issues that with the wound closure. The edges of the wound looked really nice, muscle looked clean, no concerns at all. And actually, from a surgical perspective, they felt that she was ready to just move forward. And I agreed. Postoperatively, the plan here was to start lifting the sedation, allow this patient to be a bit more awake, take the right-sided chest drain out that had been put in on that night that we talked about because nothing had come out of it, extubate her the next day and just aim for a quiet day of slowly moving forward, making progress and taking the tube out. So very straightforward plan, happy days, everything's ticking along quite nicely. But lo and behold, this is a teaching case. So the buzzer goes again. Now this is about four in the afternoon and this was immediately post-removal of the chest drain and you're met with almost identical numbers to what had been reported to you by the team on that previous night shift. So the heart rate again up at 130s, the blood pressure 140 systolic, so well maintained, but the SATs are back down at 78%. So on this occasion, I ask you again, what structure might help? So yeah, so it's, so it's easy. The, the, the reason I put this in again is to make the point that you know, you, you fall back on your known algorithms and mnemonics, protocols, guidelines when when things happen. And it can happen once, twice. You know, it doesn't mean that the cause of the deterioration is the same is the same one. It might change or it might vary, be different, might be a combination of all sorts of things. But it's important to have something and an approach to fall back on that's safe. So the exact same things as before, right? So let me bring you straight on to the clinical assessment at the bed space. So on arrival, the team were bagging the patient via TPs. There was notably asymmetrical chest movement. So there was poor movement on the left side of the chest, bearing in mind that the chest drain had come out of the right. Um, there was just air entry to the left base. A point of care ultrasound scan was performed. There was no pneumothorax and a chest X-ray was requested. So what do people want to do next? Again, you should be able to select more than one option here. So this patient sat for 78%. You're bagging them. Do you want to sedate and muscle relax them? Do you want to do some suctioning? Do you want to call in physio? Do you want to do a needle decompression? Do you want to put a chest drain back in? And if so, which side? Do you want to do a chest X-ray? Or do you want to explore the neck wound? Or is there something else? If there's something else, feel free to write in the uh, YouTube chat what other considerations you might have. And again, you might want to pick quite a few of these. Okay, awesome. So suctioning, um, yeah, okay, that has been done. Um, chest X-ray, that has been requested. Sedation and muscle relaxation, both of those have been done. Physio, yes, you have called the physio in. Something else, I look forward to seeing what those are. Exploring the neck wind, you have requested ENT to come to the bed space to explore the neck wind. And you have not put in a new chest drain. So with those actions of suctioning, sedation, muscle relaxant, um, I've also put on some NORAD. Nothing has got better. 
So the numbers are pretty much unchanged. Okay, so with those interventions, you've not managed to create any improvement. So there has to be something else to do here, right? What is your plan B? Are you just gonna ventilate the patient harder? Are you gonna change the endotracheal tube? And um, the endotracheal tube is through the cords. I'll give you that information. We have checked it. There's still good end tidal CO2. Are you gonna change the ventilator? Are you gonna wheel out the oscillator from the 1800s? And feel like that'll give you uh, better ventilation. Are you going to uh, ask ENT just to open the neck wound to draw a line under that? Are you going to perform a bronchoscopy? Are you going to add in some nebulizers? And if you are, please add onto the YouTube channel what nebulizers you might think of. Are you going to add in inhaled nitric oxide to try and help from a, either a pulmonary hypertension point of view um, or as a pulmonary vasodilator, um, whether you believe that there's super systemic pulmonary pressures or not? Add in inotropes, I already gave you that we had started some NORAD, or are you going to put this patient on ECMO? Again, you can pick more than one option here. Okay, so it's a big push to do bronchoscopy. Some people want to change the endotracheal tube. Some people are adding nebulizers. Pretty even split about nebulizers, neck wound, inotropes have already added. 20% want an oscillator. And a certain amount that I can't see are asking ECMO. Okay, so um, we get the x-ray. So this is your x-ray. So bearing in mind that you're now hand ventilating this patient. Their tube looks like in a reasonable position. Um, the plastic you see on the top left-hand side of the ribcage is a, is a really long neck wound drain. But I'm not going to comment any more on that x-ray because I want you guys to think about what your interpretation of the x-ray is. This is a free text response, but we are short on time. So I'm maybe going to give you a minute. So plugged off left side, left side of fusion, hyper expansion on the left, claps on the right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, really interesting. Okay, so my take on that looking at the x-ray, first of all, was that the x-ray doesn't look bad enough to me that I would expect this patient to have SATs in the 70s. And there's enough aerated lung there that I would expect this patient's SATs to be better than that. That's That was my first thought. I agree there is some sort of consolidation collapse at the left lower, um, but no big effusion because we have done the point of Carol for science scan that we've mentioned earlier, and it is definitely hyperinflated as well. But we're bagging pretty hard. So saturations are still low. What are your thoughts? We'll move on to this because you've already shared lots of thoughts, okay? And I'll just tell you what we did. So the ENT team inspected the neck wound. They were happy that it looked soft didn't look under tension. They were they were happy to open up that wound on the unit if we wanted them to do that, but we were all happy it looked good. The patient was handbagged. We did physio ourselves. We got the proper physiotherapist to come in and do some physio, and we got the SATs up to 82, so we're on a winner. Nitric was commenced in case that would help, but it made no difference. Noradrenaline made no difference. And in keeping with what everybody wanted in one of the previous slidos, we requested bronchoscopy. And we also called um, the rest of the ECMO team. So the intensivists were already there, obviously, but we called cardiac surgeons, general surgeons, perfusion and ECMO specialists to the bedside. And the bronchoscopy showed a picture fairly similar to this, not in the left main stem, sort of a left segmental branch, but a big clot, not of blood, but a clot of sort of mucusy, yellowy type stuff. So what next? The bronchoscopy is being done. We are not managing to clear out this 
plug yet. The Sats are still mid-80s. Our options are to add in some nebs, keep going with the bronc because we we know what the cause is. And we can keep going and try and address that. We can ask ENT to do a rigid bronc or we can put this patient onto ECMO to give us time to facilitate lung toileting lavage. So we're, we've got the ECMO team preparing. So they're at the bed space. We have ENT preparing a rigid bronc. That's happening in the background as well. Um, we have done three bronchoscopies so far at the bed space. And nebulizers, we have requested, not quite nebulizers, but I'll tell you what we did. So we directly instilled DNAs uh, on their direct vision with the bronchoscopy, and we repeated it. SATs come up to 89%. We did a second installation of DNAs, left that in situ. We wheeled in the oscillator against my better judgment, uh, and we prepared for a rigid bronchoscopy and ECMO. However, with the second installation of DNAs, SATs came up slowly to 95%, and therefore we did not progress to a rigid bronch or to ECLS. So in terms of progression, we elected to put the patient on an oscillator, which they were on for less than 24 hours. We then put them onto a conventional ventilator for a further 24 hours, did a repeat bronchoscopy with lavage and extubated the patient the next day. And that was their x-ray just, just before we extubated them. And they progressed and went home. Um, so this was an obstruction in two different circumstances, needing different uh, modalities of treatment. And the learning points from this are to call for help, have a structured approach. Sometimes a lot of actions are happening at the same time and that can cause confusion. So it's really important that there's clear leadership. You know, in this circumstance, I knew what I was asking for in terms of DNAs. I knew that a rigid bronc was being set up. I knew that ECMO was being set up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, don't give up treating the cause in front of your face, but make sure that you're doing that in a safe, stable way as possible. And always think about your plan B, C and D. In terms of guidelines, you might need to think outside the box. The reason I say that is because the DNA's protocol that I use is from St. George's Hospital in London. I think it's really clear. It works very well. So just be aware if you don't have a guideline, it doesn't mean that they're not available. One of the chat questions was just the acronyms to go through them, just because from with not having a ICU background, they just wanted the acronym sort of spelled out. Yeah, so you can, I'll move it, well, we'll not pop the slide again, but yeah, you think about dope. So a displaced um, endotracheal tube in case it's in a high position. Some people commented that they thought it might be high. Um, so make sure that you know that it's actually through the cords, that it's uh, in a good position uh, on the x-ray. If you have the skills to actually do a direct laryngoscopy and have a look and find out where it is, but make sure that your tube is actually in. There have been very unfortunate uh, cases where people have felt that they have intubated and the tube has been in the esophagus. Um, and children have not had good outcomes. So it's fundamental and it's essential to know that your tube is actually where it should be. Um, the O is obstruction of the tube, which was the problem in this case, and that was from mucus plugs. That can be an obstruction within the tube, but it can also be obstruction within a distal part or a segmental part of your airways. And that can be caused by blood clots. You know, if you've patients on ECMO, for example, um, bleeding and clotting is, is a huge issue. And we, it's not unusual for us to have to do lots of frequent bronchoscopies to wash out the airways to try and get good lung ventilation and, and um, air entry. So think about obstruction. Um, pneumothorax has been talked about, or people have mentioned it or selected it as an option from Slido. So have a way of addressing that clinical assessment, obviously, first, um, and then point of care ultrasound if you've got the skills to do that. Um, 
equipment issue, you can you need to get somebody to walk from the ventilator through the tubing, through the humidifier, all the way to the part of the endotracheal tube to see if there's a problem within that circuit. Sometimes, particularly if you've got oscillators or ventilators on high pressure, some little cap or something might pop off and then you lose all of your ventilator pressures. So have somebody allocate it to walk the circuit and make sure that they're actually happy that everything is pristine. Um, and then stack breath, uh, if you've got somebody that you're ventilating and they're not fully expiring before they're taking the next breath, depending on what ventilator settings you're on or depending on what their pathophysiology is, that can impact in terms of your oxygenation ability as well. Thanks, Peter. Was there any other questions coming through in the chat there, Lindsay? Chris, I see you're unmuted. Do you want to? I was just going to say, I think the, your other acronyms are made up, Peter, aren't they? I think that's what they might be wondering yeah. what the other ones stand for. The other ones were just uh, all about the various uh, dwarfs I could think of when I was. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's what I think they were getting at. I think they, you'd put a lot of acronyms and they were wondering what they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid they're nothing serious. 